Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast where Superman still stands for truth, justice, and the American way. I am Michael Bradley, and joining me once more is Charlie Niemeyer. Woohoo! Yay! This is episode 46, and this time out, Charlie and I will be looking at the fourth storyline from the... Uh, I have Superman Daily Newspaper strip in my notes, but it's actually the Superman radio show because <laughs> the the fourth storyline from the <laughs> Daily Newspaper strip was a very long time ago. Yes, yes, it was, and it was a good story, though. I think I don't uh, remember it now. I tell you what, after the last couple of days, I do not remember what it was about, so I would have to look up what it was. But yeah, I just brought the book home with it, but I don't have it with me. Oh. Anyway, um, but I don't think we have any pre-show chatter or anything, so I think what we're going to do is just play a quick promo, and then we will come back and talk about the actual storyline. Cool. Presenting the Amazing Spider-Man Classics Podcast Year 2. Starring myself, John Wilson, along with Joshua Bertoni, Donovan Grant, and your favorite guest hosts of the comics podcasting community, bringing you the classic 1960s adventures of Peter Parker, Mary Jane, Gwen Stacy, and the gang, as told by Stan Lee, John Romita, Don Heck, Jim Mooney, John Buscema, and more. And to kick the year off, we're running a special episode in March with... Uh, uh, hold on, wait a second... Hey there, webheads! 12 months ago, a very special podcast came onto your iTunes feed, and to celebrate 12 months of that podcast being on your iTunes feed, we thought we'd take you on a special date to the movies, and what a movie it is! Why, it's about our very own webhead spinner Spider-Man, the first installment of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy, guest starring one of the Power Rangers. Oh boy, we're in for a good time, so strap yourself in, and here's the hosts. This isn't a way a podcast is supposed to work. Peter, you're seeing the Spider-Man Sam Raimi movie without me? Why, no, Betty, I'm seeing it with all my friends, the amazing Spider-Man Classics listeners, and you're invited too. Even Liz Allen? Yes, Betty, even Liz Allen. Okay, as long as Ned can come. You know why I hate you, Leeds? As you have a right to listen to this episode with Betty, the shadow of Spider-Man isn't standing between your earphones. Episode 28 kicks off the new year with an in-film commentary on the 2002 Sam Raimi Spider-Man film. And then we continue on in future episodes looking at the further adventures of Spider-Man, an amazing Spider-Man, spectacular Spider-Man, and every guest appearance and cameo we can find. Only at Amazing Spider-Man Classics, found on iTunes and at AmazingSpiderMan.Libsyn.com. Okay, so the fourth storyline from the radio show, like so many of them have been to this point, was six parts long, um, episodes 16 through 21, and it ran from March 18th to March 29th, 1940. Both the daily and the Sunday strips were running stories that we'll look at in upcoming episodes, but Action Comics number 24, which I covered last episode, came out while this arc was running. Uh, there's no specific information on writers or directors, but it was probably still the usual suspects. Uh, Bob Maxwell, Duke Duchovny, and George Ludlam writing, with Frank Chase directing. And our title is The Mystery of Dyerville. As our story opens today, Superman, in his character of Clark Kent, has just telephoned his story of the North Star Mine to his editor, Perry White. White offers his congratulations, 
and also gives Kent a bit of welcome news. Listen. So we start the story off in episode 16. And while calling in the North Star Mine story, Perry surprises Clark with another story to cover. Apparently Lois is at the nearby San Miguel Penitentiary, a model prison, to write up a feature. And he wants Clark to go with her. So, but Clark remembers that San Miguel is where the wolf and Kino were sent after the whole Silver Clipper affair. So Clark rents a car and drives the 50 miles to the prison. Meanwhile, at San Miguel, the wolf and Kino discuss plans for a prison break after dinner, which involves help from the Yellow Mask, who had died back in Episode 9. The wolf is pretty upset at the Yellow Mask for allowing him to go to prison in the first place and vows that there will be a reckoning after they get out. Reviewing the plan with Kino, we learn that there will be a disturbance after supper, which is when the wolf, Kino, and their men will rush the steam plant near the prison wall. Meanwhile, up in the warden's office, Lois is conducting an interview while the warden asks her, yeah, asks her to join him for dinner. Lois asks to witness the inmates getting their supper, so they decide that the warden will give her a tour of the infirmary and then get back in time for supper. Because if there's one thing you want to do before you go eat, it's go to the infirmary. Uh, well, Thirty minutes going after you eat. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. You, well, you wouldn't want to go after anyway. Right. So. 30 minutes later, the inmates begin a riot, overpowering the guards and barricading themselves in the dining room. Knowing that they plan to rush the gates, the warden gets in touch with the militia and the state police for help. All roads around the prison are closed, just in time for Clark to drive up to the prison. He's stopped by a state trooper, who inadvertently informs the reporter of the riot. Stating that he has no time to wait, Clark runs off. The officer and his partner get on a motorcycle and sidecar, and chase after Clark. They get up to 75 miles per hour, but are still unable to catch up to Clark. Once out of sight, Clark changes to Superman and flies off to the prison. In the warden's office, the warden learns that two companies of militia are on their way, but they're not going to get there in time. The inmates have a huge timber that they're planning to use as a battering ram and are ready to use it on the front gate. The warden refuses to allow the guards to shoot the inmates in cold blood, but it's too windy for tear gas to have much effect. Fortunately, Superman shows up, lands inside the prison yard, and grabs the timber from the inmates, swinging it around to drive the inmates back into the cell block where they are quickly locked up. But what about the wolf and Kino? And what happened to Lois? I don't know. Maybe Michael can tell you. Michael? As our next episode begins, having beat back the riot, Superman swiftly disappears. News of the actions of the man in the red cape quickly spreads to the warden's office as well as the wolf and Kino, who are still barricaded in the dining hall with several other prisoners. Kino realizes that it must be the same guy who stopped their previous plot to wreck the Silver Clipper. Kino tells the wolf that Clark Kent is there at the prison too, and the wolf says that they might be able to use it as an opportunity to get revenge on him as well. The wolf's plan is to sneak across the yard to the steam plant, where they can access a tunnel to make their escape. He's unconcerned about the guards, saying that the warden doesn't want bloodshed and will try to quell the riot via non-lethal means. Plus, the wolf says, he has a backup plan. Meanwhile, Clark enters the warden's office, just as the warden gets a call from the wolf. He refuses to tell the warden his name, but says he has Lois Lane captive and threatens to use her as a human shield should the warden try to shoot them as they leave. He then tells the warden to tell Clark that he should remember as well. 
especially to remember the silver clipper. Having overheard the conversation, Clark deduces the caller must have been the wolf. He then runs out of the office, saying he's going to rush the dining hall, and tells the warden to have guards ready to meet the mob. Switching to Superman, he heads to the roof of the dining hall, angry at the wolf's cowardly threat to harm Lois. The guards are trying to force their way in, but are having no luck. Superman easily rips through the roof and leaps into the dining hall. The convicts try to run, but Superman forces them out into the yard, into the waiting hands of the guards. Having not seen the wolf or Kino in the mob, Superman begins tearing the place apart, looking for Lois. Unfortunately, the wolf and Kino and a small group of others had used Superman's attack, as well as the clouds of smoke, to slip away and are currently in the steam plant. The wolf tells Lois he will use her as protection to make sure Clark doesn't interfere. Lois screams for help, but Kino silences her. As some of the wolf's men try to access the tunnel below the steam plant, the rest fiddle with the machinery at the plant and blast the guards with hot steam to keep them at bay. Back with Superman, having no luck finding Lois, he changes back to Clark and heads to the warden's office. The guards tell the warden that prisoners, say, some guy in a red cape chased them out of the dining hall, but some escaped and are currently in the steam plant. Upon hearing this, Clark dashes off, headed for the steam plant. Changing back to Superman once more, he plows through the steam unharmed. It seems the inmates have hooked the steam lines to the windows while they made their escape. Lois is still in the plant, however, and faints just as Superman enters. Superman switches back to Clark yet again, and as Lois revives, she tells him the inmates went down the tunnel. Lois finds out it was Clark that got her out of the plant, but swears she saw a tremendous figure in a red cape. Clark laughs it off, and Lois emasculates him for saving her rather than going after the convicts. Guards enter, saying they intercepted the inmates as they came out the other end of the tunnel, and the warden says they were able to catch all of them except for two, Kino and the wolf. The wolf and Kino have made good their escape, so Lois and Clark head home with their story of the riot, not knowing that the wolf and Kino have also returned to the same town as part of a prearranged plan to meet up with the Yellow Mask. In a dark tunnel, the wolf and Kino talk about the yellow mask, and the wolf reiterates how upset he is with his boss. After entering through a hidden door and down another dark tunnel, they meet up with the yellow mask, who has the light switched on. The wolf threatens him with a, ye- with a yellow pistol. Wow. Let's try that again. It might have been a yellow pistol. It I don't know. could have been. Yeah. It could be the yellow mask's weakness. He's just that vain that he decides, I'll wear it. Anyway, the wolf threatens him with a pistol. But the mask zaps him with some kind of mysterious weapon, killing the wolf, and takes Kino under his wing. He then begins to tell Kino about his plans, but the audio fades out because the narrator has to transition us to the next scene. Meanwhile, at the Daily Planet... Oh, wait a minute. I wanted to do it this way. Meanwhile, at the Daily Planet... You can take that out. Uh, Perry White sends Lois and Clark to investigate the mysterious reports coming out of Dyerville, such as all the radio sets going out all at the same time, the phone's going out, and the town flooding even though there hasn't been rain for days. Even more recently, the power has gone out, and the town has been hit by earthquakes, which are uncommon for that part of the country. Perry, on a hunch that all of these incidents are more than mere coincidence, decides to send the pair out by car rather than by train. We then hear Agent A-15 reporting to the Yellow Mask from the Daily Planet, letting him know that the reporters will arrive in Dyerville by car that night. 
Later that evening, we catch up to Clark and Lois as they drive to Dyerville and have small talk about how Lois prefers to be called Miss Lane and can't bring herself to refer to Clark as anything other than Mr. Kent. Clark turns on the radio, but it isn't working, and suddenly a car drives at them, almost forcing them off the road. Lois thinks she saw that car pass them earlier, but Clark just thinks she's tired. Then the car returns and tries forcing them off the road again as it passes by. This time, Clark recognizes that it is the same car and attempts to catch up to it, but both are startled when they hear a voice coming over the radio, warning Clark to go back. Clark believes it's coming from the car and redoubles his efforts to catch up to it. As they near the bridge into Dyerville, the car appears to just disappear, and Clark is unable to stop his car in time to keep from busting through the toll gates. After pulling over, a police officer comes up and doesn't believe Clark as he tries to explain what happened. But the point soon becomes moot when another quake hits, causing the bridge to buckle. In the dark, Clark switches to Superman, intending to save the bridge while the car Lois is in begins slipping towards the bridge's edge. As the car slips closer and closer to the guardrail, Superman flies underneath the bridge and sees the foundation has been blown apart, even commenting that it looks like it's been hit by a rocket or a shell of some sort. He bends and twists the girders and support beams to shore up the bridge, then heads back topside as Clark Kent. Despite Lois's objections that the bridge will give way if they try to cross, Clark assures her that it's safe and they continue their trip, soon arriving in Dyerville. The next morning, they go to interview the city commissioner, who tells them about the destruction of the bridge and how it was mysteriously repaired by some unknown force. He goes on to tell them about the other problems that the town has had, including the power outages and earthquakes and floods, which have left the entire town baffled. Many in the town are worried, saying that they weren't accidents at all, but acts of sabotage by some nefarious fiend. He gives Clark and Lois his blessing to carry out their own investigation, saying he and his men have had no luck. Just then, the commissioner receives a phone call and learns that a railroad barge hauling loaded gasoline tankers have broken loose from its tug, and the strong tide is carrying it downstream towards the fall. Clark immediately runs out of the office to cover the story. Lois tries to follow, but Clark evades her by switching to Superman and leaping out a nearby window. Meanwhile, at the Jefferson River, the crews aboard the barge panic, worried about the fate of themselves and the ship. As it nears closer to the fall, the crew worries about whether they should jump or stay with the barge. Superman speeds down into the water, swims near the barge, and begins towing it back upriver, all the while trying to remain hidden. Once the barge is safe, back upstream, Superman disappears once more. Back in the office of the city commissioner, a phone call comes in and reports of the barge's miraculous save. Lois and the commissioner are confused about how it happened, but overjoyed that the crisis has been averted. About that time, Clark returns and says the barge getting loose wasn't an accident, but in fact, the steel cables connecting it with the tug had been cut. Just then, another man rushes into the office, telling the commissioner to turn on the radio. As he does, he hears the yellow mask broadcasting a message, saying the secret empire demands a $1 million ransom from the town by midnight tomorrow, or Dyerville will cease to exist. Okay. It's been 24 hours since the end of the last episode. In the commissioner's office, Clark asks him how he'd destroy the town all at once if he was the Yellow Mask. After the commissioner thinks that this is pointless, Lois helps convince him that he should help, so the commissioner tells them about the Harley Dam, 
which, if destroyed, would cause billions of gallons of water to destroy the town. Just then, the commissioner gets a call from the Yellow Mask, who basically reveals that that's exactly what he's planning to do. Clark has the commissioner call the state police and the National Guard to be on hand for the next 12 hours. Meanwhile, he and Lois drive up to check out the dam. In a secret hideout near the dam, Yellow Mask and Kino talk about plans to take out the reporters. When Kino asks how he's going to stop them when they're in a car, Yellow Mask shows him a small box he invented and demonstrates how it works by using it to stop a dynamo. The plan is for Kino to hide out in a nearby cabin and use the box on Clark's car as they drive up. Then Kino is supposed to kill the reporters. Speaking of the reporters, Clark and Lois talk about checking out the dam when the car's motor just suddenly stops. Clark gets out to check the engine, and both of them are quickly overpowered by Kino and his men, and are then taken to separate rooms of the cabin. Feigning weakness, Clark talks to Kino, uh, hoping to get some information, but really Kino doesn't have much to say while he's setting up a bomb to blow up the reporters. After Kino leaves, Clark rips his bonds apart, changes to Superman, and then smashes the bomb's battery. He then busts into Lois' room just as she faints. Again. So he picks her up and flies off to a patch of woodland near the dam where he can land without being seen. Meanwhile, the commissioner shows up at the dam to meet up with the patrols and is surprised to hear that Clark and Lois have not yet arrived. But he then spots them running up to meet them, even though Lois is still a little dazed. The commissioner then starts to tell him about a message that he got from the Yellow Mask when suddenly the dam starts to shake, causing all kinds of pandemonium. Does this have anything to do with the message the commissioner got from the Yellow Mask? Michael? I don't know. Does it? I don't know. You're the one that did the next episode. Oh, you think that'll answer it? Maybe. Uh, it might. All right, let's find out. Yay. As Clark and Lois and the commissioner race off the dam, the shaking soon subsides. They wonder about the cause, thinking it might have been another earthquake or an explosion, when the commissioner reveals that shortly before the incident, he had found a mysterious letter from the Yellow Mask. The letter says that the secret empire is unhappy that the town isn't responding to the, the threat quickly enough and warns them to hurry up or else he might change his mind. Clark begins to suspect that blowing up the dam might not be the Yellow Mask's plan after all. He thinks the warnings have been too plain and that he might actually be planning a different scheme. He's actually not, but they made a big to-do of it in the, the episode, so I felt I needed to <laughs> add that to my synopsis. Anyway, Clark tells the commissioner and Lois to go back to town, and once they leave, heads out to do some investigating as Superman. Diving underwater, he finds a piece of metal by the base of the dam. Realizing what it is, he speeds back to Dyerville and reveals that an underwater torpedo fired from an unknown spot up the lake is what caused the shaking at the dam. Clark goes on to say that he believes that it's a warning from the Yellow Mask to show the town what he's capable of. As the town officials deliberate on whether to pay the ransom or not, the commissioner explains that should the dam be blown, the water would come through Jefferson Gorge and into a valley destroying Dyerville. Clark asks about calling in the army to dynamite the gorge so it would block the, the water and send it in another direction. But the commissioner says there's no time for that, and before they can discuss it more, the people in the meeting come to a unanimous decision that they won't be blackmailed, and they won't be paying the ransom. Suddenly, the voice of the yellow masks booms through the room. He says the town has made its decision, 
and now he has made his. The midnight deadline is no more, as Dyerville is to be destroyed now. The people pass it off as an idle threat, because they're morons, but the Yellow Mask says he's already fired torpedoes and destroyed the dam and that the flood is headed towards Dyerville. They still don't believe it, and as Clark slips away unnoticed, Lois comes in saying they just received a phone call that Harley Dam has been destroyed. Meanwhile, Superman takes flight, speeding towards the dam. Seeing that the dam is indeed gone, Superman turns around and races back towards the gorge ahead of the rushing water. Swooping down into the gorge, he begins busting through the granite walls, sending an avalanche of stone into the gorge. But it's not enough. After a bit of effort, Superman finally breaks loose a giant stone overhang, sending it tumbling down, plugging the gorge, and saving Dyerville from the deadly flood. Two hours later, Clark arrives at the town's telegraph office, where Lois is sending her story back to the Daily Planet. Lois gloats over getting the story, since Clark had run off like a coward. Clark gives a wry smile, but the smile soon fades as he turns, knowing the town is saved, but that the yellow mask is still at large. My name is Michael Bailey. And I am Jeffrey Taylor. And we host a podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Presented by the Superman homepage. On the show... Wait, wait, wait. What? This just isn't working out for me. It's not bombastic enough. We need something epic. Like what? Welcome to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, presented by the Superman homepage. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And I am Michael Bailey. From Crisis to Crisis chronicles the adventures of Superman wait, wait, from... Wait, 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 wait. I'm just not feeling this. I'm just wondering how there's a needle-scratching sound when all of this is clearly digital. Look, all we need to say is that this is the, a trailer for a show called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by the home, Superman homepage. My name is Michael Bailey. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And every week we give in-depth synopsis and reviews for just about every Superman book published between Man of Steel number 1 in 1986 and Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. We also talk about the related Superman media, what was happening in the rest of the world when these comics were published and what else was going on in the DC Universe. The show drops every Thursday-ish at the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com. From Crisis to Crisis is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. So join Jeffrey and I each week as we explore Superman during the post-crisis era, which includes Exile, Panic in the Sky, Doomsday, The Marriage, and Beyond. And write into the show at FromCrisisToCrisis at gmail.com and hear it read on the air. Eventually. Because we get behind on that sort of thing. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Side effects from From Crisis to Crisis include loss of money from buying back issues, a desire to read 20-year-old comic books, nausea, drowsiness, pizza, blurred vision, upset stomach, a desire to kick puppies and kittens, and backache from lifting boxes of Superman comics. If the excitement of From Crisis to Crisis lasts more than four hours, seek immediate medical attention.
So our cast this time, a little bit smaller cast uh, for this set of episodes. We had Bud Collier, of course, as Superman and Clark Kent. We had Ned Weaver returning as the Wolf. Arthur Vinton returning as Kino Carter. And he also played the Bargeman in episode 19 and the Commissioner's Assistant in episode 21. We had Julian Noah, once again, doing a full slate of roles as Warden Bowman, Perry White, the Yellow Mask, and the City Commissioner. Our final cast member is Helen Choate in the role of Lois Lane, taking over for Raleigh Bester, who portrayed the character in the first four episodes where Lois Lane appeared. Our first episode is called, was episode 16, and it's called The Prison Riot. Uh, the first note I had for this was I, I like a big cliffhanger from one story to the next, like with the Yellow Mask phone call that the, the planet was going to be destroyed or or uh, the Sterling, tire fi- Sterling Tower fire. Mm-hmm. But I like to hear that even though there wasn't a big cliffhanger at the end of last story, they found a way to use the end of that arc as a launching point for this story so that we're not just starting an, you know, an indeterminate time later like in the comics. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, because once again we get the it just flows right to the next story. Right. Um, during the phone call when Clark was talking to Perry, I noticed that Julian Noah's Perry really sounds like John Hamilton sometimes. Yeah, all he needs is a good is a couple of great Caesars ghosts and it's <laughs> yeah. pretty uncanny right there. Yeah, maybe smoke a box of cigars to get the... Uh, a little more rasp in his voice, but there you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't have a note on this in in my notes, but when you were doing your synopsis, I remembered that uh, Perry called San Miguel a model prison, mm-hmm. and I wonder if that was kind of a uh, little bit of politicizing on the writer's part because later they talk about how the warden doesn't want to use violence, and you know, I don't know if there was a problem with prison violence back in 1940 or. I was just wondering if I was just wondering if part of the reason they were doing a feature on it was it was supposed to be like uh, I don't know how you want to put almost like the prison of the future, oh, and like be. it made me think it. I mean, I have no idea because uh, I they didn't say anything more than what you heard, obviously. But excuse me, the, the, what I, the way I took it was that it's like a new prison and everything they've got is state of the art, cutting edge to be the new the, like the prison of the future and this is the prison that's supposed to be trying everything out huh, that's a good point and um yeah the the warden might have been a bit of a pacifist but i was thinking that just was because you know in addition to them be, to this being a, a you know a prison anyway he might be a pacifist but this riot's already probably going to be big news right considering there's a riot at the model prison and then him well, we can get into that a little bit later, but uh, him, you know, going and killing everyone in cold blood would look bad on yeah. this model prison of the future, reverting to basically what it, you normally get. Right. But that's the way I took it. it. I thought it just seemed like it was one of the like model prison. It just seems like I think we've got those now. They have like model schools and model prisons and model business offices. Just. Yeah. Epcot Center at Disney World's a whole model of everything, actually. So. Right. Um, I did a little research. There actually is a San Miguel prison, but it's in Chile. 
Oh, well, that's a little different. Yeah, I was wondering why they would have... I mean, it, not to be prejudiced or anything or racist or anything, but it just seemed kind of funny, even especially at this point in Idaho or any of the surrounding states, because they were in Idaho at the end of the last one, and this is only 50 miles away from where Clark was, um, which is actually interesting now that I think about it, that Lois didn't have any problem getting out there, and Clark and their his people almost died flying out there. But anyway, I just find it interesting that up there they have a Mexican or Spanish named prison. Just seems kind of weird to me. Granted, I don't know the history of that area. It could be that yeah. you know that you know that's just part of the culture. It just seemed kind of weird to have a San Miguel prison in Idaho and surrounding vicinities. It is a little peculiar, isn't it? Yeah, hmm. but it it makes sense in Chile. Well, yeah. Obviously, yeah. Maybe it's the same one, and they just moved it. <laughs> they just moved it for the story and moved it back? Yeah, why not? <laughs> um, I did have a note. I don't think in, quote-unquote, real life, they would actually imprison the wolf and Kino in the same place in a way that they could still regularly communicate, given that they're, they were working together in, in the former crime that they're charged with, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, I wouldn't think they would either. But it's fiction, so that's that's one of those things I can kind of let slide, you know. I mean, they put <laughs> if you look at the, uh, the the Batman comics of recent years, they put all of these crazy homicidal maniacs in one place. Yeah, it's called Arkham Asylum. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and sometimes when you watch, if you watch the animated series, they all get to hang out and watch TV. Yeah, together. yeah. <laughs> You'll just sit there watching the episode, and all of a sudden you got the Joker and Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy and, and Killer Croc and yeah. Killer Croc and Two Face and all the and uh, Ventriloquist and everyone else sitting there watching TV, <laughs> and then like goading at each other. But still, there, I don't think that would be allowed either. <laughs> um, when Lois is interviewing the warden, it sure sounds to me like the warden's trying to flirt with her, and. Either she doesn't notice because she's too busy do it being a reporter, because I know she's really focused on that because being a, a female reporter in 1940 wasn't easy, or she's just ignoring it because she's so hot for the guy in the red cape. I didn't really as think that, was mentioned earlier. I didn't really pick up on that he was flirting with her. Well, it's just the way he kind of flirtatiously asked her to join him for supper. Oh, okay. That I was just, yeah. Uh, I just kind of thought that was kind of playful. It could have been, but I don't know. Sounds kind. Of, that's it's. It sounds kind of flirty. It wasn't like overtly okay, like, yeah. "Hey, how you doing?" <laughs> Dad. It's just. It's just you know, I mean, what can you do when you're in a prison? Right. Apparently, take her to the infirmary. So that's that, that's really gonna mess her. It's a hot date right there. <laughs> yeah. I tried that with a girl once, and she didn't like it too much. Um, that whole while we're on that subject of of Lois and the warden, Lois mentions mentions she's after the woman's angle, which is kind of it's kind of infuriating. I mean, they've mentioned a few times in the comics uh, about Lois getting the woman's angle on stories, mm-hmm. even things like suicide and war, and it's just definitely something that's symbolic of the times. You know, women can't cover hard news; they have to focus on the the women's angle of, of things. And apparently, in this instance, it's the food. And making sure the prisoners are fed right. Right. Because women should... Feed their men. Right. 
exactly. Mm-hmm. Barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, or, or whatever, exactly. whatever the phrase is. But yeah. Well, they can have shoes. It's the forties. <laughs> nice, ap- nice apron on. You know, cover the baby bump. Right. Um, yeah. Now maybe I I heard this wrong because I didn't go back to check it, but. Before the plan starts, the wolf mentions that in about an hour is when all the stuff's going to start with the riot, like the disturbance that's supposed to set everything up. Right. And then the narrator says that 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes pass, and then the riot begins. And I'm like, wait a minute. Hmm. Maybe, maybe they don't have watches in prison. Or, or I, I'm wondering if maybe like back in the 40s, maybe an hour was 30 minutes. And they changed it at some point. I'm not sure, um, but they, yeah, daylight savings time. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, it's two o'clock in the morning. And what happened was <laughs> that that hour just half. Yeah, know, that was. And, and the thing, the only reason I noticed it was because I believe it was like the wolf mentions in an hour we will start. And then as soon as he says that, like the narrator goes into his spiel about it being 30 minutes later and the riot starts. Mm. So it's not like they forgot. It's right there. It's like the line above it. Maybe um, the villains just can't tell time because later on in uh, one of the episodes, the yellow mask screws up the time as well. Good point. So maybe they can't tell time. You know, it, when you're a criminal, it's hard to find, it's hard to buy a watch, a good watch, because they're always watching you buying stuff. Yeah. I mean, you can make boxes that turn off machinery and stuff. No, but no problem. But a nice Swiss-made watch. That yeah, you, it's hard to buy that with ill-gotten gains. Yeah, and we both have a note on the next part. I'll let you go first because no, yours go is go ahead because mine oh, okay. is basically just saying that I liked it. So okay, I thought Clark was kind of brazen here, and it's something that when he's talking with the officer that pulled him over. Yeah. Oh yeah, I should probably mention that part. When Clark's talking to the officer, he's kind of brazen because he talks about, it and he's just like, "Well, I can't stay, so I'm just gonna go. See you later, officer." Yeah. And this is after he's introduced himself as Clark Kent, a reporter for the Daily Planet. Yes. And then he runs off really fast, and these officers get on their bike. I'm guessing it's a bike. They don't say it's a bike, but they the one officer tells the other one to get in the sidecar. And you don't usually hook a sidecar to a car, so right. I'm guessing it's a, it's a motorcycle. Right. And they're driving up the road following Clark, and he's still pulling away while they're putting, you know, pulling 55 or 75 miles an hour yeah it's it's one thing to do it to like a, a filipino houseboy <laughs> who doesn't know who you are yeah exactly but when you've when you've just introduced yourself to, to an officer of the law and told him where you work <laughs> right and then you pull a super stunt and apparently you're still wearing the clark kent suit and glasses bit, <laughs> then i would think that that could come back to bite him in the butt later you would think so yeah, but it doesn't. Yeah, I, I love that scene, and I, and I thought it was kind of funny. But you're right; the fact that he introduced himself, told him who he was, what he did, and where he worked, and then mm-hmm. just took off running—that was definitely a, uh, something they should have caught when they were editing the story. Or definitely not something the he script. Do, definitely not something he'd do today. No, no. Even in the DC knew he wouldn't do that. Maybe as Superman, but not as Clark. Right. I don't think he'd say, "Hi, I'm Clark Kent," and just <laughs> run off. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> Now, now in action, I could see him walking up and so, say, hi, I'm going to go to the prison, see ya, and then running off and having them chase him and stuff. Now, that I could see. Maybe even in other eras, but not as Clark, yeah. yeah. Oh, one of my things, the thing I like the most about this episode, though, 
is it was so Superman that they set up this dire situation. We've got the prisoners about to bust out the gate. The tear gas isn't working because it's too windy. The militia isn't going to be there for backup. The warden won't let them shoot the won't let the guards shoot the inmates at the end. And suddenly Superman drops out of the sky, takes the timber and basically changes the whole momentum of this whole riot and swings the thing around so that they are forced back into the into their cells basically. Yeah. And it's very like you said, very that, Superman. That moment. was a very Superman thing to do and I think that's I mean, not that nothing else that they've done on this show so far has been Supermanish, but this is probably one of the bigger ones, I in my opinion. As and, far as iconic Yes. 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 I mean, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's iconic to save a woman from a burning building and all that stuff. But this is, you know, especially for Golden Age version of Superman. This is Superman falling out of the sky. I guess he's covered from the good, from being able to be seen because of the tear gas. But, and then he's just swinging around this giant, what did they say? It was like 20 foot by two foot timber. Yeah, it was, it was pretty big. I don't remember the size, but it was pretty and big, yes. He's just swinging it around, <laughs> scaring the inmates. That is just awesome Superman stuff. The, the only other comment I had about this episode was that I thought Bud Collier was really impressive in this episode. And I, I kind of wonder if he's differentiating even more you know, between Clark and Superman. Did you notice anything like that, or am I just hearing things? You're just hearing things. Okay. No, no. Um, I don't know if he's really differentiating more, but he, this time he was a little. He, he did sound a little tougher when he was Superman. Yeah. Than he was a. He sounds like he was having fun with Clark and being tough with Superman. He got his courage up after threatening the poor Filipino houseboy. Exactly. Yeah. And and another thing I've noticed, and I think I noticed this last time, but I forgot to note it, but it happens several times over the course of these few episodes, is um, on the show, they're, they're actually using his voice change to indicate that he has switched to Superman without actually saying that he's changed the clothes. Right. Because if you just listen to it, you can hear the voice change, but if some, I mean... I'm, I'm actually sometimes listening to hear them say that he changes because I'm used to reading it in the comics. Uh-huh. How even though you can see it, <laughs> right. they tell you quickly changing to, you know, into his blue tights and whatever. But on this, literally, you you know, Clark's running, and they mention that Clark's running, and then Clark starts talking, and then his voice changes down that octave into uh-huh. Superman, and suddenly he's landing at the prison, and everyone sees this guy in a red cape. Yes. And so the only way you know that he changed is because he changes his voice. And he does that several times throughout this six episodes. And he did that last time and maybe even earlier, but I forgot to mention him. But, yeah, that was – I thought that was interesting. It's a it's a audio cue or audible cue. Right. Audible. Yeah. Some. And, and now that Collier is doing that mid-sentence transition, you mm-hmm. know, where he just goes from one voice to the other and you don't even really notice it. It, it's even more of a cue because you're not going to mistake that maybe it's two different people because you can actually hear him go from one to the other during a exactly. sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the transition, and I, I love those transitions. Yes, he is so awesome at that. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, so our next episode is episode 17, and it's called the Steam Plant. And I had less notes about this particular episode. Um, the first note that I had wasn't until maybe a third or halfway in 
I like how the narration and the sound effects described Superman actually working his way through the roof of the dining hall from tearing off the metal to busting through the trusses and, and you know, on in rather than just smashing through because it just seemed a bit more real than just smashing a hole through the roof. Yeah, that makes sense, especially since it's a model prison. It shouldn't be easy to well, – and it's a prison. It shouldn't be that easy for him to get in or out. Right. And if you think about the way a building is made, you don't just have a sheet of metal for your roof. Well, I guess you do in like a barn or something. But <laughs> in an actual building where people are living, you don't have just – you know, there's – Exactly. Uh, trusses and, and all this other stuff. So insulation and that, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. you got reinforcements and especially a prison – when right. you've got you've got to reinforce to keep the guys from getting out, right. and by guys I mean convicts and stuff like that. Right. You know, I just noticed. I just thought of something. What's that? Okay, we're we've got a prison full of men with male guards and a male warden. You would think Lois would be getting a lot more attention at this place. <laughs> right. I'm just saying. <laughs> Uh, that should have been in last episode's notes, but I was just—I just realized that someone's okay. been watching Lock Up too much. I think. <laughs> no, I've just seen some some um, shows where a guy finally gets out of prison for after a while and hasn't enjoyed the touch of a woman. And, right. And you have another note. Right. It was uh, <laughs> no. I was just going to say that maybe it's just because we can't see them like in a comic book, but in the radio show, it seems like. Clark's transition or switches to Superman oftentimes seem to be in transit, like he's running down a hallway and he'll switch. I get, and I guess this kind of goes back mm-hmm. to what we were talking about at the end of last episode. But in the comics to this point, when you see him changing, he usually stops, takes off his clothes, and then jumps out the window. But here it's like he's actually – like that scene in the in the Christopher Reeve movies when he's running down the alley and you just see him change as he's yes. running. Yeah, yes, I, I, I love like that, that one. That's my favorite scene from the movies too, probably. But yeah, and and they do pick up pick up on that later. But it's it's definitely the '40s still. But yeah, it's but yeah, I, I like that too because I guess at this point he basically goes to his apartment and changes most of the time, doesn't he? Yeah, oh. and makes some kind of comment like it's time for Superman to take a hand in this. While well, he just seems to be casually removing his shirt. Right. Uh, we have seen him in the comics. Uh, changing in the storeroom or in a back alley, but yeah, he goes home a lot for some reason. Well, you know, when you want to change your clothes, you want to make sure you have them at a place where you can put them back on later. <laughs> right, since they haven't have... the cape pouch yet. Exactly. Yeah. You don't and want he... some homeless bum to just take your stuff. He learned his lesson about leaving his clothes in the alley when they had the when the guy found him. And, and exactly. Wasn't that the police officer or something? One hundred percent Riley. Yep. 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 That guy. Or ninety nine percent Riley, as he's known now. <laughs> but on that note, Clark does a lot of switching back and forth in this episode because he goes from Superman to Clark to Superman to Clark to Superman and back to Clark again. Six changes over the course of like ten minutes of story. That's probably a record. Yeah, I don't think he's done that much changing back and forth in any of the, any of the episodes so far. I'm not sure he's done he's changed that often in any media ever. Well, that's just comics and radio at this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, even beyond this, even oh. when you get to the movie, possibly that part from Superman 4, <laughs> when he's having dinner with, what, Lois and Lacey, I think her name is. But other than that, I honestly don't think he's changed this often in such a short amount of time 
in comics, movies, other cartoons, radio, and anything else. Could video be. games. I, I, video games? In 1940? Well, he, or, or later. <laughs> oh, okay, I see. Okay. Superman 4 was 87. So that's... Okay. We, you know, I'm going into the future. Uh, up till now, I don't think I don't. It's yeah, but yeah, even like up to now in 2011, I don't think he's done it that often. Not that I've read every Superman story ever, so I'm sure somewhere in the Silver Age he had to do something like that. I'll have to ask Billy. <laughs> but um, uh, now that we've gotten past that, I do have this note, um, and I wrote this while you were going over it. I th- it was actually kind of smart on the part of the inmate guys, although I guess if it's the Yellow Mask's plan, I guess it's all him, but to use the steam? To, to fight off the guards? Yeah, because yes. it, it puts a wall between them, and it's hard for the... I mean, they can't get past it because they're just going to boil. Right. Oh, yeah, that steam. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's, that's, it's actually a really good idea. I don't know how many times I've been killed in a video game by steam. <laughs> without realizing it and all the screen just goes red and I die yeah. so I mean so you, you don't really think about it too much because usually when you deal with steam it's you know because you're boiling some noodles right. but you get this high pressure steam like this and yeah that's going to boil the skin off your, off your bones oh yeah so, and then they, they mentioned I think it's right at the end of the episode that they somehow connected the, uh, the pipe to the, the window so that it would keep firing the steam while they slipped out down the tunnel Exactly. That was pretty smart and, plan too. And it just—I don't know if it—I guess it was Yellow Mask, but though the way they did that was just really—I don't know—it was just really smart. Yeah. I wonder if any prisoners listening to the show and said, "Hey, <laughs> keep that in mind." I don't know. Yeah, but anyway, uh, I think my next note is basically what yours is. So I'll let you do that one because yours is better. Okay, I just want to know what the heck Lois's problem is at the end of the episode. I mean, Clark just saved her. <laughs> just saved her life, and she jumps all over him. Yeah. Yeah, I... Lois is not very nice in any of these episodes. No. But especially right there, it's kind of annoying because she's basically been, what, a shield. Right. And then she faints. Clark saved... As far as she knows, Clark saved her possibly wearing a red cape and then she's like what the heck are you doing saving me when you should be saying wasn't wasn't she screaming for help before he did that yes yes she, so she, she screamed for clark and then yeah. kino shuts her up somehow knocks her out or something so she's screaming for help pleading for help and then he helps and then she's mad at him for helping right mm-hmm. yeah she lois is just not a likable character in these episodes to this no. point and obviously we don't have that little love triangle going on yet. <laughs> right, despite what Mike the photographer said last episode. Uh, yeah. Which yeah. doesn't make any sense. But Well, she might like Superman, but uh, yeah. I don't know how Clark could like Lois at this point. Right, <laughs> right. And the way she just balls him out, I mean, it, I'll, I'll give that to Helen Choate. You know, she balls him out and it almost sends a chill up your spine, the way she does it. We got him on the other side. Miss Lane, are you all right? Yeah, I'm all right. Well, I reckon you can thank your friend Clark Kent for that. Kent? I didn't see you. How did you get here? Oh, gee, Miss Lane, never mind that now. Point is, I did get here, and just in time. Was it you that got me out? 
I thought I saw a tremendous figure in a red cape. Oh, gosh, I sure hate to disappoint you, Miss Lane. I guess you figured I was Superman. Oh, no. Don't worry, Clark Kent. Why did you stop to look after me? If you'd been on your job, you'd have gone after those convicts down the tunnel. Oh, no. You'll never be confused with Superman. You can just tell that she hates Clark. Yes. Even if it's not justified in the story, you know, you, it really comes across how much she hates Clark. And she definitely does a good job of picking up right where the last actress was, too. Yes. Uh, obviously, they play it a little differently, but they both really conveyed that Lois hates Clark thing. Definitely, yeah. Very well. <laughs> um, our next episode is called, is episode 18, and it's called The Wolf versus the Yellow Mask. Okay, now, the beginning of this episode, I didn't mention it in my uh, synopsis, but the beginning of the episode, the narrator describes Superman as being, and I quote, faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, motive, motive, uh, locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, as well as being a champion of the weak and the oppressed, and a fighter for truth and justice. Tireless fighter for truth and justice. Of course, because he doesn't get tired. But I'm thinking that this is like the first time we've we've heard s- at least some of these descriptions. I know the comics have had the weak and oppressed thing, and I know that they've shown him being faster than a plane. And but I don't know about the locomotive and tall buildings in a single bound things ever being used before. I could be wrong. Um, I don't remember. I would have use. to look back to give a definitive answer on that. Uh, the comics and the radio show, really, to a to a degree, have been all been having these you know descriptive paragraphs, and they've all been different forms of that faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, you know. But right. this one here is the closest we've gotten in either media to that iconic description. Right. Now, see, I know – I remember the radio show. I know Champion of the Weak and Oppressed is there – seems to be the one they use the most. Right. Um, and I – well, that's but, what Superman is in this. He's champion of the oppressed. Right. And, yeah. and they, they definitely say, you know, he comes to Earth – with more powers than anyone else, and he's a champion of the weak of the oppressed. And as we st- our story begins, and then they go on to that. Right. But I don't. I mean, faster than an airplane isn't quite the same as a speeding bullet. But I think, first of all, that they use those three in that order. Yes. Oh yeah, they did. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's the way. That's the way those three. Well, other than the airplane, but the faster, more powerful, and the leaping are three things. Oh, cats in trouble. Uh, those three things. Uh, that's the oh. huh? Cat Grant? Yes. Sorry. Okay. Yes, our Cat Grant. Um uh, but yeah. Um but yeah, first of all that they put them in that order and it's stuck that way basically. But then they also have the truth and justice at the end and I think I want to say that other than weak and oppressed this is probably the first time we've at least heard them in the radio show which is easier to say when we're only in 18 episodes but I don't remember hearing about fa- well maybe faster than an airplane. But they never yeah, I did think the. They, they said that in one of the earlier episodes because it was faster than an airplane, impervious to bullets. Yeah, okay. Like that. Yeah, but they didn't have the locomotive or leaping thing. No, those are new. And those Very two, curious. it's it's really cool that those two. I'm wondering if they change if if we ever hear them changing before they come back to it. But it's really cool that those two are introduced here and stay the same, and are 
two of the three most well-known parts of that speech right in world culture yeah i mean i and we just got to talk about their introduction you say those three lines to anybody and they're going to know you're talking about superman oh heck that's how well known they are in fact if you describe superman they can tell you those three lines oh yeah (laughs) yeah generally speaking yes yes but speaking of well-known things in relation to Superman, I, I just want to note again that Metropolis is still not named in the show. And in fact, with this episode, they actually kind of dance around it because mm-hmm. the narrator says that Clark and Lois return home and that the Wolf and Kino happen to arrive in the same city. Yes. And I, Metropolis has been named at this point, but only a few times. And I, I just wonder if the radio show wasn't maybe just waiting for the comics to either more firmly establish Superman's city and follow their lead, or if they were intentionally keeping it vague so that listeners could, you know, kind of adapt it to whatever city they live in, whether it be New York or Chicago or or even a, a, a small Cleveland. town. Cleveland, yeah. Or I, I was think I thought maybe uh, now that you mention it, maybe they thought it was like not a city name because a city was called a metropolis long before Superman. Right, 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 right. So they, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe I mean I know obviously they've had to go through the comics to get some inspiration for this stuff. Yes, because I mean you wouldn't have gotten the Krypton stuff and all that if they didn't do that. But I'm thinking maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't read it that closely. Yeah, I've kind of had that idea too. It just kind of feels like they just kind of breezed through the published mm-hmm. stories enough to get kind of a feel of things and then went their own way rather than sitting down and reading everything. And that's fine. Exactly. I'm not faulting them for that. But it, it would explain a lot of the, the weird, maybe not discrepancies, but things are just a little bit off. Superman being full grown, right. but um, but yeah. So and so, I'm thinking that since Metropolis is a general name for a city, right? And the Daily Planet is it, or you know, well, the Daily Planet on the radio show, but the Daily Planet is a metropolitan newspaper, a da- metropolitan daily. Mm-hmm. They may have just thought, because technically, if you want, if you want to get nitpicky, technically they called it that in like the second episode when, when he he's just, talking when, to when he's. Name? The Jimmy professor, is, yes, yeah, Jimmy the about professor. going and working at a Metropolitan Daily because right. technically it's a daily in Metropolis. So I don't right. know if you want to get technical, which I love to do and then pull back. Yeah. But in that same narration at the beginning, uh, the narrator says – obviously the narrator does the narration. But he says that the, the yellow mask has an underground hideout, which is really awesome. Every bad guy should have one. Uh, yeah, every every bad guy should have a cool hideout. And this guy has one that's not only starts off underground, but then you go through a secret door in a wall, mm-hmm. and then it's darker and more <laughs> underground. It's darker than dark. Yes. <laughs> now, and, and you don't hear them say anything about it, but you gotta wonder that when the yellow mask shows up and has him turn on the light, that's gotta hurt. Well, it kills him. Well, no, no, no. Before he kills the wolf, he just the yellow mask has them turn on the light so they can see each other. That right there has got to hurt if they've been walking around in the dark all this time. Oh, oh, I see. And the pupils are dilated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, they had to, the two of them had to, were walk around, walking around in the dark and had to see enough to see this door open. And then it's even more dark. Yeah, more dark would be the right way. 
it's darker. It's like, how much more black could this be? And the answer is <laughs> none. None more black. Yeah, exactly. Thank Sorry. you. And then, um, and then he just turns on the light, and you hear the light switch. And I don't know who turned it on. <laughs> right. Well, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have well, there was light, right? <laughs> no one. The wolf and Kino couldn't see to turn it on, and Wolf, uh, the yellow mask, seemed to be by himself. So yeah. he says, "Turn on the light." I don't know who did it, but uh, they turn on the light, and I would just think that's gotta hurt. And then we don't even know what the heck the yellow mask used to kill him. It just goes. Bzzz. Yeah, the sound effects were kind of lame <laughs> on that part. And and they don't they don't come back to it. They don't mention it. Yellow mask doesn't use it as a weapon against anybody else. Doesn't threaten Kino with it. Right. He just. Bzzz, and then that's it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that whole uh, confrontation between the wolf and the yellow mask was a little disappointing. Um, the very first time I heard this episode, I kind of had a little geek out moment when the wolf and the yellow mask squared off because recurring Superman villains at this point are still somewhat of a rarity. I mean, we've only had the Ultra Humanite and Luthor and then the wolf that have been recurring villains. And never before in any media had two previously established villains met Superman villains. Yeah. So it was. You know, it's a cool idea. You got two villains and they're they're coming together, but then it's it was kind of uh, a letdown. Yeah, a very it, short interaction. But yeah, it would have been cooler if they could have done more. But I guess even if if they'd fought, it probably wouldn't have worked well with the radio. No, <laughs> no, but, but they could have, you know, maybe teamed up for an episode or or oh, that would have been cool. Done something, you know. Yeah. It does set up, though, that the Yellow Mask was the boss and yes. is very powerful to the point where even his number two guy didn't stand a chance. Right. Yeah. Well, he doesn't take any uh, back talk. Exactly. You know, yeah. no, no insubordination. That's a good word. There you go. Look at you. You got that word today with toilet paper. <laughs> got my thesaurus right here next to me. Ah, okay. Uh, but I loved the yellow mask line after he killed the wolf. He says something about... Kino, I think I heard you use the term boss. You will remember after this to whom it applies. Uh, yeah, sure. Well, whatever you say. Just his his delivery of that was very smug and arrogant and very cool. I really like that. Yeah, I'm actually kind of liking this yellow mask. I kind of wish he'd shown up in the comics. Yeah, that'd been cool. But at the same time... I, I like that the radio has its own cool. Oh villain, yeah, you know, cause, yeah, its own version of Lex Luthor or something. Right, because Luthor. Spoiler alert: Luthor never appears appears in the radio show. So really, really never, never ever. Wow. His first, the first time we see Luthor outside of the comics is in the serial. And when okay, now I know that that was that serial based off the radio show. Kind Somewhat. of. Uh, they. And I mean, it's. It's called Adam Man vs. Superman, and we do get an Adam Man later on in the radio serial, but it's not really the same character. Yeah, if it's not Luther. Well, right. But even even like the uh, the background of the character isn't, isn't the same. Wow. You would think uh, – I would think maybe even later on. Although he was never on the TV show either, was he? No. Uh-uh. Wow. So Gene Hackman's like, no – Gene Hackman was the second live-action Luther, or outside of con- well, no, because the '50s cartoon had, or the '60s cartoon had Luther in it. But that's not live-action. 
No, I was thinking outside of comics. Oh. But yeah. Yeah, he was in cartoons and what he wasn't in the Fleischer cartoons, but he was in the uh He was in the Superman cartoons right. and then um obviously Super Friends. Oh yeah. But wow. Huh. Never kinda kinda surprising, that. isn't it? Yeah. Especially considering it's Luther. And he was a big deal bad guy even in in the forties. Later in the forties, but even in the forties. Actually, now that we're on we've already spoiled that, I guess, I don't think any villains from the comics work their way into the radio show or the George <laughs> Reeves show. Now see, in the George Reeves show I could kinda of, I could kind of see it because on the limited budget and stuff, it would be a little difficult for some of them. Maybe not Luther, since he was. Since I think the budget on those things was even more limited than the show. But a lot. Well, no, because even by the fifties, he. Well, no. <laughs> I say no a lot. I, I like to contradict myself. But by the fifties, was that was still very late golden age, wasn't it? Yeah. So they they didn't. He didn't have that many recurring villains by that point. Um, he had. He, he had like the prankster. And, Prankster, Toy Man, uh, uh, Luther, and may- maybe Mixius Pitalik. No, but I think Toy Man came later, didn't he? Toy Man was in the forties. Okay. Oh, duh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh yeah, nineteen forty-three. But yeah, that's. I, but that's there was four, one called the. There was the Puzzler, and then there was Mixius Pitalik. Or with actually, the original spelling. Back then, Mixius Tipalik. Right. Right. So yeah. yeah, it is kind of surprising that they didn't try to just pick, you know, at least one of them at some point. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, even in the cartoon, they never when they brought in some of the villains, they were still different. The yeah. cartoon had a parasite that was different, and the and a brainiac that was different, and although looked the same, and now we've apparently gone into a 1960s cartoon or a Superman <laughs> in the media show instead of the radio show so right. sorry about that. oh that's alright it's all related so <laughs> but um as you said I thought the showdown was pretty lackluster they did a lot of setup over the last two episodes and you were thinking yes this is gonna be awesome and then and then the wolf's dead right <laughs> it's like and the episode isn't even half over anticlimactic yeah, <laughs> yeah enti- even if they had just teamed up for the rest of this episode and then the wolf was killed at the end of the episode. That would have, you yeah. know, double cross or, or whatever. Exactly. But, but yeah. But it, it's kind of funny. The episode is titled Wolf versus the Yellow Mask, and it's a five-second scene, <laughs> and that happens in the first – I, I looked at it. This episode's about 12 minutes long. Right. By Including the, f- the beginning and ending. Exactly. Stuff. Right. And within the first four minutes of the episode, the wolf was dead. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So it's kind of, wow, that's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they used the rest of the episode wisely to set up the the next couple of episodes, but still it was kind of like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is almost like, kind of like two separate stories, because you've got the prison stuff for the first two and a half episodes, and then the, the last three and a half are the Dyerville stuff. Exactly. And see... When when I first started listening to it, we had we had discussed that we were going to do the next six episodes. I was like, oh, okay, that's no problem. And in my mind, the Dyerville story was longer. Uh-huh. And then I sit down and I look at the episode titles, and it's Prison Break, Prison Thing, Wolf versus the Yellow Mask. Okay, and then the Secret Thing, and then two things for Dyerville. I'm like, huh? <laughs> yeah, uh, the the episode titles are a little bit deceiving 
See, yeah. these were all named long after they originally. I mean, they're they're like with the comics, they're recent names in recent it's, years. Yeah. So, and the episode titles I've got are even different than what you've got. Oh yeah. Uh, on mine, on the uh, what I've down or, or what you sent me, um, I've got that the first one's the prison riot, then the steam plant, Wolf versus the Yellow Mask, then it's the Yellow Mask escapes, not Secret Empire, huh. and then it's Mystery of Direville One and Mystery of Direville Two. That's interesting. Yeah. Weird stuff. Did you get yours off the uh, or the titles from the CDs? I, I didn't even look at the CDs. Think so. It's been so long ago. I don't even remember. Okay, let's see. Secret, secret, secret empire, million dollar ransom, torpedoes of destruction. That's what they're called in the uh, Smithsonian Historical Performances CDs. Hmm. Wow, we're almost done with those two. Those that's Yep. We'll have one more storyline after this and then the yeah. box set'll be done. And then the audio drops dramatically. Dramatically? See how I just make up words? That's awesome. <laughs> um okay, so into a next note <laughs> now that we finished with that. Um in the first of a few different pronunciations of the town, after introducing it as Dyerville, Perry asks Lois if he's ever heard, or if she has ever heard of Dryerville. Yes. Yeah, and... they mispronounce it. <laughs> they, they pronounce the city like three different ways throughout the course of the story. And so, and, and it's one of those things that makes me wonder if this was a one-take record thing, even though they got they do it on transcription and record them. Probably. It probably it makes was. me wonder if Unless they, they did something completely off script, you know. Right. Because yeah. if it was multiple takes and stuff, I would think someone would have gone up to him and because I would doubt that he would make the same mistake several times that they couldn't use a different version where he said it right or right. have him specifically cut. You said it wrong. It's yeah. Dyerville. Or it's just Julian Noah was off his rocker because now that I think about it, it's Julian Noah that says it wrong. Because <laughs> That's later, right. He's the, the, other, the other later major one was the yellow mask. So... <laughs> Yeah, well, he yeah. just can't read, apparently. <laughs> it's got to be on a script right in front of him. Well, he you, probably yeah, he didn't I mean, have his glasses to... and that. You know. um, That's yeah. what happens when you have to portray like five different characters in the span of right. three yeah. episodes or so. Yeah. But before they leave the Deadly Planet, Lois emasculates Clark yet again and then tells Clark that oh, – I'm sorry. And then Clark tells Lois that he'll try to keep her safe and out of trouble. And Lois responds that she's able to do that for herself, apparently <laughs> forgetting that within the last, I say, week, she's been taken hostage, thrown out of an airplane, then taken hostage again and used as a human shield by some escaped prison inmates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not her finest hour. No. But, uh, yeah, I was not- I had the same note that about the emasculation thing. I mean – Good lord, she just doesn't give him a chance. No. <laughs> and then for in it for no real reason. <laughs> exactly. Which, which is why I say she's an unlikable character because and, Yeah. And then he doesn't help his situation any by even though she's sitting there. First of all, she gets mad at him for wanting to listen to the radio. <laughs> then she gets mad at him when the radio doesn't work. Yeah. And then she gets mad at him because she almost runs into a car. Then she gets mad at him because he doesn't believe her. Although that was kind of forceful. She's like, I'm not tired. I say you are. 
So that I didn't like that. But and then the car comes back, and then she's almost seems mad at him for wanting to go after it. <laughs> right. And then it crashes through the thing, and she gets mad at him for doing that. <laughs> and it's like now that I can understand because Clark should have stopped. But you know, it's the 1940s, and I'm sure these cars are heavy. <laughs> yes. So oh, braking yeah. is not going to be the utmost important thing to, or the utmost easy thing to do, especially if you're traveling at high enough speeds to try to catch a car, even though it's disappeared and you can't find it. Right. But anyway. The last note I had, and it's really about something else, which is okay because we've kind of been all over the place here <laughs> in the last five or ten minutes. But when they're in the car, Lois tells Clark to call her Miss Lane. Have you ever noticed on Adventures of Superman with George Reeves that Clark refers to his Daily Planet co-workers as Lois and Jimmy, but Superman calls them Miss Lane and Jim? I never noticed that, but I, now that you mention it, it I, I remember it. I noticed that a couple years ago when I was re-watching some of the color episodes, and I was just kind of blown away by that because that's a nice little detail that they put into the scripts to help differentiate between the two characters. And, and without calling attention to it and you right, don't notice right. it. I mean, all the times I've seen those episodes, I never picked up on it until a couple years ago. But I'm, I'm really interested as we get farther down the line in the radio show if they do a similar thing. You know, once Superman becomes known to these people and is right. interacting with them, if they'll do a similar thing since Bob Maxwell had a hand in both shows. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, so they eventually find out about Superman? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean... Spoiler warning! It's a ways down the road, but yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, eventually they do... It, turns it does out it's become next more episode, of the traditional setup, yeah. yeah. Turn, turns out we cover that in the next episode. It's going to be great. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, people. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I do try to keep from spoiling too, too much stuff, but I mean, that's a... You know, that's a big... I don't think they ever do a big reveal on it or anything. It's just kind of one of those gradual things that... It's not like he lands a plane in the middle of the city. Right, right. Um, I think that's all I've got about that one. Okay. Episode 19 is called The Secret Empire, or what you say it was? The Yellow Mask Escapes? Yes. Okay, the Yellow Mask Escapes. Um, my first note on this one is that saving a bridge is probably one of my favorite super feats. He doesn't actually get to do it in the first movie because of, you know, special effects limitations. But one of my favorite things is when Superman literally has to almost hold up a bridge and save a bridge or save people from falling off a bridge or anything like that. Right. It just seems really super to me. And this is this is the first time we've seen him do it. Or (laughs) I say seen. This is the first time we've heard him do it on the radio show. And I just it was really cool. Well, I'm glad you like it, and it makes me feel bad what I'm going to say next, but I thought this was probably the most boring episode we have had so far. Superman had two big, phenomenal Superman moments. He had saving the bridge, and then later he was saving the barge. And both were just boring as all get out, because there was very little sound effects. I mean, if it wasn't for Collier's grunting and, and vocal inflection, you'd have no idea he was doing anything spectacular. The barge save was really the worst of the two, which is at the end of the episode still. But, Well, I'm not going to say it was the most exciting and action-packed episode, right. but 
I don't know. I still like the bridge part. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was. And I didn't I think know it was that written you were fine. Un- they just needed to do better production on it with sound effects or yeah, yeah, something to liven it up a little bit. Something narration, but something. Yeah. Did you know that when you go underwater and you talk, it sounds like you're in a tin can <laughs> with just little bubbles? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Never noticed that before. Like a fish tank beside you. I, yeah. I have to try that again. You know, once it warms up again, because I'm not doing that now. But yeah, that'd be a bathtub. Anyway. Um, but <laughs> before we get into the water stuff, I do want to know how Clark is able to just up and leave from the toll plaza. Okay, now keep this in mind. He has just crashed through the thing right. and was about to get a ticket and a whole bunch of different fines. One for smashing through the thing, one for driving dangerously and or reckless driving, sorry, and you know busting, you know damage to. Po- you know, public property and all that stuff. So we have this earthquake thing hit. He changes to Superman in the dark, flies down, saves the bridge, comes back, pays the toll, and they drive off. <laughs> that was it. Well, they were probably all distracted by the bridge collapsing, wouldn't you think? Yeah. And he just slipped away just, and then came back. This is Clark Kent slash Superman. Right. <laughs> Supposed to be setting a good example for these kids. And he he paid the toll, yes, but he he should have paid the other stuff too, and he didn't. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, bad yeah, Superman. Well, yeah, because <laughs> I mean, he did crash through the thing. Right. And at the very least, he should have paid for that. But he was also going to get a fine, and he got out of that and another ticket for the, the driving. Right. So he was going to have fines and stuff. Now I could understand if the if they had the cops come up and say, you know what, never mind, just let's get out of here or whatever. Fine. But the cop never came back. <laughs> right. And, and Clark just kind of walks up to the car, gets in, and says, "Okay, here we go." And Lois is like, yeah. "Exactly." <laughs> and Lois is like, "We we can't leave the bridge." It's like, "Oh, the bridge is fine. Don't worry. I paid the toll." And he just drives off, and everything's back to normal. And it's like. What happened there? Yeah. And I just picture Clark, like Lois looking at him like, what the heck? He's just got a smile on his face. Like you said, go. Yeah. yeah. Wow, this bridge is pretty this time of year, isn't it? And yeah, that was bad whistling on my part. I'm, I got to get a swig of water. But yeah, it's uh, I just don't understand how he got away with that. But at least he paid the toll. So that's setting some kind of an example. Right. Um, when they finally get to the commissioner's office, or excuse me, the yeah, the commissioner's office, yeah, I made a note that the commissioner sounds just like the warden at the prison. I really think Julian Noah has like three voices. Mm-hmm. And one he uses for Perry, and the other two he just kind of switches around with varying degrees of urgency, depending on whatever role he's playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He does his best. I mean, I say, I still say what he does for the yellow mask sounds very different from any of the other voices he does. Yeah. Okay, he has four voices. Yeah. Okay, because you cannot tell that the yellow mask is him. No. no. But everyone else sounds the same. Yeah. With yeah. slight differences. Yeah, I'm not – I don't want to sound like I'm sliding Noah. I mean, it's just – he's a good character actor, and I really enjoy his take on Perry. It's just funny because he doesn't have a lot of vocal range, given the 
huge list of characters he plays on the show. And, and yeah. most of them are just like one off, you know, the commissioner who never appears again or whatever. Yeah. But still. And he sounds the same. Well, I mean, he's the one with the most voices. Right. The most characters. Yeah. Look, yeah, that's what I meant. If you look at your uh get out the notes. Okay. If you look at this, you got the cast for this one. Okay, you have Arthur Venton was Kino, the barge man, the commissioner's assistant. That's three. Mm-hmm. Ned Weaver was the wolf. That's one. Helen Choate was Lois Lane. That's one. Bud Collier was Superman Clark Kent. One, two, if you want to be picky because of the voice change. One and a half. Ju- yeah. Okay, there you go. Julian Noah has one. Warden, that's the one. Perry White, two. Yellow Mask, three. And the city commissioner, that's four right. in just this episode. Before that, he's had two or three every, you know, each episode probably before this. So it's like, wow. <laughs> Get someone else with more vocal range. That's all I can say. I mean, keep him. He's an awesome Perry, and he does a great yellow mask, and he can do a few other voices. But I'm just saying, you know, find, you know, they need to get some. Maybe he had the most vocal range out of the people that would have time to play more than one character. It could be, yeah. Maybe I've never seen Julian Noah in any. I know he did some uh, television or movie work, but I've never seen any of the things he did. I need to maybe try to track those down at some point and. Because, I mean, Bud Collier, I mean, I don't know. I've never heard him do much of anything else. Right. And I know he did other stuff, but I don't know how any of that sounded different compared to his Superman or Clark Kent. But those are completely different shows, so that's okay. Right. Now, it's not like we have – he's trying – he has to talk against himself. I mean, who – I mean, of course, Bizarro, if he – if Bizarro was around, then he wouldn't sound the same, but – you know, if he was playing someone else and had to play like someone meeting up against Superman, <laughs> who knows what the diff- how it would sound? But I'd like to see a Golden Age Bizarro. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> that would be nifty. I wonder if they do the grunt thing. They, they actually Golden Age. They might even pull off a, like a different person. Yeah. Instead of just having him voice it, because otherwise it's like, oh, he's got too many voices. We'd have to pay him more. <laughs> right. Now that you mention, I don't think Arthur Venton does very good at disguising his voice either. Who was he in this? He's Kino. <laughs> okay, yes. And as the commissioner's Arthur assistant, Venton. he did sound that different. I was like, oh, what? Sounds like Kino's in there. And yeah. Archman, I don't remember much of, but I remember the commissioner's assistant being like, that sounds like Kino. That's weird. We never find out what happens to Kino at the end of the episode, do we? Nope. Because he appears in 20, and then he doesn't. We don't hear from him. He appears. Tries to blow them up and leaves, and we never hear about him again. <laughs> and that was my other note for the, one of my other notes for this episode is they do the whole explosion thing. There's no explosion because Superman, or yeah, but Superman busts up the thing, so there's no explosion, and it's no big deal. Right. Granted, they probably figure it out when there's reports of Clark and Lois hanging out somewhere else, but you would think that you know Kino would get in trouble for the bomb not going off. Maybe that's why we never hear from him again. That could be. He's killed off panel. <laughs> exactly. And see, I thought that something happened. When, when I remember hearing this before, I could have sworn something happened to the yellow mask in this story, and we never hear from him again. But obviously I'm wrong. Yeah, the yellow mask does come back. Yes. Whoa. Maybe Kino's in that episode, too. I don't remember. I don't remember even yellow mask coming. Actually, you know what? I only remember it because it's in the episode title. <laughs> Or the story title. Oh, <laughs> what is it? Uh, Yellow Mask Returns or something? The, uh, yeah, it's something like that, yeah. yeah. See, I've only gotten like, what, one or two stories past where the CDs end before oh, okay. before I restarted for this show. Right. 
because that's about how far I'd gotten before you said, hey, you want to do this with me? I was like, sure. So, um, yeah, so I haven't actually gotten that far, so I don't know. And then it jumps all the way to what the spider lady or whatever she's called. So, and that's like way down the road. Right. So that's going to be cool. I love the scene. It's about halfway through the episode. Uh, Clark switches switches to Superman. We have Lois runs out of the building, and, and then uh, Clark drops his voice and jumps out the window with an up, up, and away. It's just a very iconic scene and, and another Did he say away? vocal transition from Collier. Did he say and away? Maybe he just said up, up. Okay. Is this when he's jumping off with, or flying off by himself or when he's carrying Lois? Uh, no, it's about halfway through the episode. Lois runs out of the building, and then... Clark dodges her and, and goes out the window. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've been trying to listen for the first and away, and so far I've all got up, up and away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Huh. It was up, up, and away. There was a big pause in there, but, but <laughs> and we away. Had it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I know I see in my mind I can hear him say it, but I know they had him say it a lot on the '60s cartoon when he voiced that. Right. So I think that's influencing it. I, every time I hear him say up, I start listening for it. And I didn't remember him doing it this time. Maybe he did. I just don't remember. Yeah. Kent, where are you going? Well, where do you think? Out to find that barge. I'll see you later, Commissioner. What? You wait here, Miss Lane. Some story in that. I'll be back as soon as I can. Wait. Wait, I'll come too. Wait. Sorry, Lois. Can't stop now. There's an emergency like that. It's time Clark Kent gave way to Superman. Ah, here's a window. No one in sight. Good. We're up. Up and away. Well, the only other thing I had was, aside from the possible death of those who were aboard the barge, if they couldn't jump off, and the monetary loss from the barge going over the falls, what would be the harm in letting it go? Because the commissioner acts like it's a end-of-the-world situation if the barge goes over the falls. It's just one more thing. I guess. They've had so many other problems. This is just adding to it. And it's just, it's not good for morale. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds as good as anything else. It's it's the Superman radio show. It's hard to tell. <laughs> not saying anything get bad about it. I'm just saying it's hard to tell. Yeah. So our next episode, episode 20, is called The Million Dollar Ransom. Or... The Million Dollar Ransom. The Million Dollar Ransom. Oh, no, no, no. Oh. Or The Mystery of Dyerville, one. Okay. The Million Dollar Ransom or The Mystery of Dyerville, part one. I really like the conversation at the beginning with Clark asking the commissioner how the town could be destroyed. I mean, it's mostly there for exposition, but I like how Clark is using his brain to puzzle through things. Mm-hmm. And that's... Another neat thing about Superman being a little less known in these these episodes is that it makes Clark more important because Superman still does all the heavy lifting, but Clark is pretty much – he's just as integral to the solution as Superman. Right. Wherein you know, later incarnations where Superman does have the big public showing, Clark can sometimes end up being just a, just a secret identity basically. Yeah, most of the um, a lot of the times that's what poor Clark happens, and it's like these days you even get like several issues and before you even see Clark. And I'm not even talking about the whole new Krypton stuff. Yeah, but like 
even before that, even after that, you get a full issue and maybe you get Clark at the end. But if it's a multi-part story, you probably won't see Clark until they're doing the uh, end of the last part. Right. And that's sad. <laughs> a little bit because I like Clark. Clark King. Yeah. I think he's a very important part of the character. You know, yeah, he's you- not just the glasses that Clark or that Superman hides behind. He, I think he's a very important part of the of the character, you know. Exactly, and he needs to put in more than just a cameo. And I do like that they do that, especially since with this kind of thing, I don't. It's not like they're using a whole bunch of budget to have more Superman in there, right? Because it's all a hearing thing, so it's not like they have to worry about more flying effects and stuff, right? It's just whether Bud Clyer talks like this or he talks like this. So exactly. <laughs> well, apparently he went to Mickey Mouse there, but that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, and this is the episode where I mentioned earlier we have a bit of a time issue here because the nar- the narrator at the beginning says that 24 hours have passed, leaving only 12 hours to go for the deadline. But when the yellow mask calls, he says there's 24 hours left. Hmm. But then he also calls it Dyersville with an S. <laughs> so, he has no clue what's going on. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> his, his mask is blocking his vision or something. He probably read the clock wrong. Because they don't have an AM and PM on the on the old school clocks like that. I don't think they had digital then. No, it was all. <laughs> what's, what's the word for the other analog? There you go. We call it old school. Yeah. These days, there's no school like the old school. <laughs> um, something that's gotten annoying, but make it kind of makes sense. But it's also gotten annoying that we noted way back in the first story. Yeah, is that um. Again, we get Clark telling someone what to do when that person should already know what they're doing. Uh, he's telling a person of authority, in this, con- in this uh, instance, the commissioner, that he needs to call the police and call the National Guard and have them stay, in, you know, stay around town for the next 12 hours. And I'm thinking that the commissioner should have done that, been doing that anyway on his own. <laughs> it's part of being a commissioner. Well, maybe he did because he says there's – well, no, because there would have been time yeah. 24 hours prior. Yeah. But – and see, you would think he would have done that. But no, you have this reporter <laughs> who, if I may add, we don't know exactly how long he's been with the paper, but has only been around for four stories. About a week. Given, there you go. <laughs> given all these stories have been one right after the other. Okay. So yeah, it's been like six days since he's been <laughs> – since he was hired by the Daily yeah. Planet. And – Suddenly he he feels like he I mean and and he gets away with it, and yes. then at the end of the episode we actually have this commissioner driving at high speeds to the top of the dam to show the reporters a message he got. <laughs> right now I don't know if it was like this in real life. I'm guessing it wasn't, but I don't know. No, it's fiction. But I know yeah. nowadays that if the police got something, they wouldn't necessarily be so like hey. I was been talking to those reporters. We better, you know. Plus the fact I just realized that Clark and Lois are the only reporters that apparently are on this story. Apparently, yes. But Even anyway, they, they work for a paper that's all the way across the country. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know about across the country, but it's near. It's not that far. They were drove oh, from okay. Trump, well, or yeah. wherever Still. their city is. But yeah, you would think like I don't know the Dryerville Gazette might be covering something. <laughs> It's a town of 30,000 people. They, you'd think they'd have at least one paper. Well, you'd think so. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. 
But yeah, that that that's something. It just it makes the commissioner look really inept, and that he's relying on Clark for everything. And it, I, yeah. I'm sure they don't intend to do that, but it's one of those things that I know. I mean, I haven't. I don't hear about it all that often, but one of the things that I've heard is a complaint about a lot of superhero comics or cartoons or shows is that it makes the normal police officers look really inept. Yes. Because they're always having to call in Superman or Batman or whatever to take care of stuff, and the real police can't do anything. And it's like, this isn't helping it. This might be where it started, but this isn't helping. The true origin of the hatred of Superman. <laughs> there you go. Starts right here, episode 20 of the radio show. But Clark does get put in his place by Lois. Of course, because it's Lois. When, when Clark is revealing his plan, I just want to tell Lois to shut up. He's not boasting. He's explaining how he's going to save your whiny butt again. Yes, yes. Woman, shut up. <laughs> and then, what was it? Kino uses the thing, uses the, the device, the box or whatever, which I like the fact, and it, I kind of chuckled when I heard it. I like the fact that when um, Kino asks the yellow mask how it works, he says, never mind that. Right. So that they don't actually have to explain how it works. <laughs> so that was cool. But it wasn't the uh vibrating infra gamma rays or whatever that was from the Which exactly. You would think that the yellow mask could have invented something another atomic beam machine. Yeah. If he can invite and create a box that can stop anyway. That's good. He can off make the... letters appear and he can make devices that uh make cars shut off and, and make other cars disappear. He can make And afford torpedoes. Yes. But um, that's beside the point. <laughs> the point I was trying to make. Sorry. Yeah, that's all right. Because <laughs> I kind of lost my track anyway. Um, what was it talking about? Oh, she gets mad at him for the car stopping. Yes. And <laughs> he's like. Well, it's all his fault. Well, of course. He, he drove like, up there just so the car would shut off. Now, <laughs> anyone in that position would be like, well, that's weird. The Clark, the, the Clark. Yeah. The car stopped. And she's like. Well, I can see that. Why don't you use your head and figure out what happened? And it's like, yeah. well, Lois, why don't you use your head and figure out what the heck happened? Why don't you <laughs> use your head and shut up? Yeah. <laughs> Just shut your trap, woman. But, yeah, she – and he – I don't know. She probably got mad, got mad at him for the fact that Kino came up and took him too. <laughs> yeah. We just didn't hear it. When she was yelling through the wall, I'm sure it was just to yell at him because they're kid, they've been kidnapped and it's all his fault somehow. But yeah, that she's getting really annoying on these, and it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. Halfway in, we have Lois. I can protect myself quite well, thank you, Lane. Getting abducted and held hostage yet again, <laughs> and fainting just in time for Superman to save her. Right. That's three times she's been kidnapped and held hostage in nine episodes. That she's been in, or eight really, since. The one from last storyline was just a brief appearance at the beginning of the story. Mm-hmm. I really think we should be keeping track of these. <laughs> the Lois Lane abduction count or something. I don't and keep know. in mind, too, she wasn't even in the first six episodes. Right. Yeah, she's been in eight episodes so far. Yeah, and she's already been – yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she's fitting in the role very well. She's just not liking it apparently. <laughs> right. Uh, let's see. Do I have anything else? Oh, there's something I noticed. Okay, the commissioner drives up to the dam, right? Right. Now at this point, Lois and Clark have already been have already had the car broke down, then been kidnapped, stuffed in a cabin. 
and then had to free their way and then Clark had to free them and fly up to the top of the of the uh, blah, blah, of the thing that the thing is called the dam by the way right okay so somehow in that time in between and, and I'm figuring in order for the commissioner to get up to the dam he would have had to drive up either while they were in the cabin or while they were being overpowered and taken to the cabin and apparently he never saw their car and apparently there's, there's lots of junk cars yeah. sitting on the side of the road in Dryersville so. well of course and it, especially right. since it's Dyerville right <laughs> wow you did both mess ups in one take that was pretty cool Dryersville that's, that's right <laughs> that's why he didn't notice it because it's Dryersville Joe and Noah Julian Noah's got nothing on Michael Bradley let me tell you but anyway, yeah, so you would think he would – especially since you know he's the commissioner and he's looking for the two reporters, you would think he would have noticed that their car was sitting there on the side of the road. Yeah, you'd think so. But apparently not. Episode 21, our final episode for this story is called Torpedoes of Destruction or – Mystery of Dyerville 2. Mystery of Dyerville Part 2. There you go. Um the yellow mask I, I mentioned this a minute ago but the yellow mask is starting to remind me somewhat of the ultra humanite from the comics because the ultra humanite pulled the stunt where he had a uh, letter mysteriously appear on the desk and he had all the fancy gadgets you know like the ability to broadcast messages over the radio and the the, uh, the EMP generator or whatever it was that shut off Clark's car mm-hmm. I completely agree with that I also think the people of Dyerville are stupid Yes. Yeah, they're morons. Okay. Okay. So so far, we know that they've had that they've been threatened with all their radio sets being knocked out, all their phones being knocked out, a flood, um, threat of another flood that will wipe out the town. They've had earthquakes, more earthquakes, the barge, which was probably the most disastrous of all, and then the um, they they knew that the dam was already hit by one torpedo. Right. All this stuff has happened, and they're like, we're not going to give in to his demands. We do not negotiate with terrorists. Yeah. You know, I can understand wanting to be brave and not negotiating with terrorists, but in doing so, I mean, even if they didn't know that he was going to say, okay, fine, if you want to be that way, I'm just going to go ahead and blow it up now. Right. You could at least evacuate the yes. town. When, uh, when you, you you at least right. you know say at least pretend to go with it until the time comes. But that was the dumbest thing I think they've ever. I think anyone on any show, radio, or whatever could have possibly done was say no after all those threats. Yeah, because oh, this yeah. is a whole city. It's one thing if it's one person and someone's being heroic. Right. But this is a whole thirty thousand thirty thousand people person yeah. town city whatever you want to call it and they say no we're not going to do that and it's like hello not only are you sitting precariously near a dam that has already been hit by one torpedo the guy's got freaking torpedoes he's shooting at these things <laughs> right and he's already shown numerous different ways that he can cause all kinds of trouble for this town ah uh, frustrating yeah yes it, it actually makes Lois well, it's, she's still a witch, but it, it, it kind of—I think this is where she's from. Lois Lane, a Dyerville native. There you go. <laughs> That's why, yeah. Even though she doesn't know anything about the town, right? 
which also takes her off because Clark knows about it. <laughs> she calls him an encyclopedia or something, doesn't she? Yes. Like in the first episode, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I like this episode because Superman blocking up the dam was much better than his big stunts in episode 19. I, I, this one was much better. It doesn't really make up for the, the boring ones, but I enjoyed it more. Yeah. And we had a very Fleischer-like ending with Lois mocking Clark that she got the story and then Clark giving a wry smile. And you, you half expect the Fleischer music to come up. You know. All right, here comes another sheet. Same address. Perry White, Daily Planet. <laughs> well, Mr. Kent, fancy meeting you here. Hello, Lois. Well, they tell me it's all over. The flood missed Dyerville. And once again, do you mind telling me where you've been all the time? Oh, I don't know. Out and around. Well, one thing's certain. This time it's my story and not yours. Your story? You bet it is. Your cowardly running away cut you right out of it. I've sent Mr. White a complete account of how Dyerville was saved from the flood. This is one time, Mr. Clark Kent, when you weren't in on it. Uh-huh. I kind of like the ending. Yeah, I was I was almost expecting if this had been a the TV, a TV show or even a Fleischer cartoon, I could totally see Clark looking at it, looking at the camera and winking. Yes, definitely. Yes. Or even just doing well, even the right smile because he did that a lot on the George Reeves show. But I, this is totally a look at the camera and wink moment. Uh-huh. It's awesome. And once again, we had no cliffhanger going yeah. to the next story. Nice pat ending. Yep. I think the next story actually does start fresh. Uh, I don't remember. I may be proven wrong uh, when we go through that one, but but yeah, it, just overall, I, it was a fun story. You know, even given my uh, complaints about Superman's antics in Episode 19 being kind of boring, but you know, the one at the end was well done, and the first couple episodes were really good. I do wish the the confrontation between the wolf and the yellow mask would have been a bigger part of the story, but that's really my only complaint about it. Um, yeah, the only problem I have is why, um, why Dyerville? It seems like um, uh, why the yellow mask targeted Dyerville. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I don't were, know either. <laughs> maybe he. I mean, an easy target, I guess, because he could destroy the the dam and flood I guess them. it just it's there's not a real. Before he was wanting to take what he was wanting to rule, wasn't he? That's why he got the atomic beam machine. Yes. Yeah. And his he was going to use yeah. So this one he's going to destroy a town, and of all the places he's going to pick this little, well supposedly little town. Right. It's just it's like, you know, he probably also was going to do a cab protective league thing, but someone beat him to it. <laughs> so he was like, dang it. And well, I guess have, I'll just... He didn't have the capital to build some faulty subways, so... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I guess he was just, well, I guess I'll just take out this small town. Why not? Nothing else better to do. <laughs> what did you think of Helen Choate's Lois Lane, either on its own or in comparison <laughs> to the way uh, uh, Raleigh Bester took it? Her, her acting, I thought, was good. I thought she was a little less dramatic yeah. when it was... When you know they had the womanly dramatic parts, so I thought that was a little better. But she still was very good at being, because um, it's not always easy to play to portray a character to the point where the people that are listening to it 
get really annoyed at or, or hate the person of the character because of what the character's doing, not because of the way the character is portrayed necessarily. And that doesn't sound right at all, but you know what I mean? The, uh, her portrayal of the character isn't the reason that they hate it because she sucks as an actress. It's because of the fact that they've almost feel that the person is, that the character is a real person. Right. And is gathering feelings against the person. That's where I was trying to go with that. So I thought she did a real, so even though Lois is a pain, I thought she did a good job as acting as Lois. And I actually do like it a little bit better than the previous actress, just because of Raleigh the dramatic Bester. parts. Yeah. Yes, Raleigh Bester. Yeah, because she's... she didn't get that over, or especially that, uh, was it whoever was June Anderson last time? Marion Shockley. Yes, yeah, so much better than that. Yes. Much better. Because yeah. Lois, actually, Lois seemed a little tougher. Like, I don't know, more seasoned or something, but she had more, <laughs> I don't want to call it, Stones? Nerve. Nerve. That's better. I was trying to think of something that you wouldn't have to bleep out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. She has a lot more nerve than the other, than any of the other female characters so far. Yeah. So it, that's really nice to have. Or yeah. Really nice about it. I, I really agree with you. I mean, she – I think she's a better actress than Bester. And uh, yeah, she's still very excitable and, and overacts here and there, but – I think Bester did that too, and like I said at the end of episode seventeen, you really feel the hatred in her voice when she's yelling at Clark for saving her life. So, mm-hmm. And she's a screamer too. Did you? Oh know? yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. She's got some lungs yeah. on her. Oh yeah. Not maybe not quite Phyllis Coates level, but yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how weird it is to, to have. To, I mean, it's one thing to act, have to act in front of into a microphone, you know. And right. feel maybe like you're looking dumb in front of a bunch of other people acting in front of a microphone. But I wonder how how it was how she felt having to stand there and scream into a microphone. I would think it would be difficult. Yeah. Because you're not I mean, I think they were to a degree kind of all right there together recording their lines, but you, you don't have the same physical interaction like when you're doing a TV show or a movie. Exactly. So, so it's got to be difficult because you don't have anything to bounce off of. Well, I guess you do, right. but not not the same type of of. It's thing. hard. I would think it's harder to get into character. So yeah. I guess in, in this instance, it actually makes <laughs> the previous female actresses sound better because they seem to have no problem screaming in front of people. <laughs> but um, I mean, it's not just the screaming too. It's I I can't imagine. It's one thing. I'm sitting here in a room by myself talking into a microphone right talking to you and it took i know when i started doing my shows or my show that it took a while to get past the point that i'm sitting there in a room talking to myself recording a show yes and every podcaster that does their own show by themselves first has to deal, or any podcaster that ever does their own show by themselves has to deal with that okay. even if you've already done tons of episodes with other people uh-huh. The first, it's one of the, it's just one of those tough things, so that takes some getting used to. But I can't, I'm not, I cannot imagine standing there, having to act out these things. And this is just because I have no acting chops. But it's one thing to have to act it out in front of a bunch of people, but eventually you can kind of get to a point where you can kind of get into the scene and you're acting with the people on stage or something or on set, 
you know, right. and kind of forget everything that's happened, you know, the fact that there's an audience or a bunch of cameras or something. But from what I've seen of the setup for a lot of these, literally you're looking at a mic, a person standing there in a row next to each other, holding up a script, talking into a microphone. Right. And they've got to stand there and act stuff out with just their voice while there's people on the side waiting for their cue to use the sound effect. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how you can act like that. That uh, so I am very and especially since this is early stuff. This was like some of the first acting you've got to remember too, because radio's only been around what like twenty, thirty years. So, it, this is I don't know. I'm impressed. It just makes it sound even more impressive. Which I don't know why this is so, so big on this episode, but yeah, it just came up. Choate kind of has an odd accent too. Um, at times it sounds more like a New England accent, but at other times you can definitely hear a southern drawl hmm. in it. It's well, it's weird. Metropolis. We're not. That just fits with the whole East Coast thing. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the actors on the show have kind of that New England accent because they're all from... I mean, the shows were recorded in New York, so they're all from that area, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I haven't done a spotlight on uh, Helen Choate yet, so I don't know where she was from off the top of my head, but I'm just curious if maybe she was maybe uh, originally from the South or something, because you can definitely, at least I definitely hear a little bit of a Southern drawl in her when she talks, but... I noticed it sometimes, but a lot of, yeah, it was, she hit it pretty well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she never said Dyerville wrong. (laughs) No, that was Julian Noah. (laughs) Actually, he is the only one that said it wrong, isn't he? I think so. I think even the narrator said it right. Yes. Uh, Some people. Well, you got any final comments on this episode, or this story, this set of episodes? Um, I think we've covered pretty much all the bases. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I, I thought it was, um, I thought it was really cool. They, we definitely have, what seems to be two sets of stories, but they continued into each other fairly well. Right. Um, it's like a, it, it was like a natural flow from one to the next, even though, basically, we have two completely different things. Um, I wish we had, and I guess we really didn't mention it much when we were going over it, but I wish we had learned more about how the uh, Yellow Mask survived the plane crash from Episode 9. Yeah, I, I'm i glad you brought that up. I didn't have a note about it, but yeah, that would have been nice. I mean, I've complained about how Luthor and the Ultra Humanite came back from what seemed to be their final mm-hmm. demise. Uh, but yeah, you're right. That, that would have been nice if they would have explained that somehow. How he they didn't even mention that he had looked like he had died. He was just there. I mean, right. when they start talking about him in the first episode we covered today, he's just, it's just like yellow mask. Okay, that's fine. You yeah. know, yellow mask. I remember the yellow mask. And although if he's wearing a mask, well, yeah, they couldn't okay. see where he was burnt and charred. But it was only that's possible. But they don't mention that. Right. It, I mean, I don't, they don't mention. First of all, you don't know how he could have survived before. Right. They don't mention that he was ever in that kind of a predicament at all, and they don't mention how he could have possibly survived it. And Clark doesn't seem – well, Lois doesn't either. Neither one of them really seem to be shocked that they're dealing with the yellow mask. Right. And, well, if they are, it's just that, oh, this is the yellow mask, not how did he survive? He was. I thought he died in that plane. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. 
So they kind of glossed over it too. I'm wondering if it's like, like we've noticed before, it's like something that would stick out to us. They're like, well, if we just kind of gloss over it, the kids won't notice. Could be, yeah. And like I said, it's just part of the storytelling of the time. They did, you know, they did in the comics too. So. Yeah, yeah. Even the even with the Joker too. Yeah, although I kind of like even... it. With, I kind of like it with the Joker. Yeah, they but... they've actually kept that one going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They it's still even in the cartoons. But if you're interested in hearing this set of episodes, all six were included in the Radio Spirits Smithsonian box set that was released on CD and cassette in the mid-90s. And the story was also adapted in text form in the March and April 1941 cover date issues of Radio and Television Mirror. All six episodes? Um, it's a slightly abbreviated form of the story, but not as much as, as the last one. When Clark and Lois arrive in Dyerville, the town's already received the threat from the Yellow Mask to pay for the $1 million ransom. So they pretty much strip out the barge stuff. Okay, so they it's just the Dyerville part of it, nothing about the prison and all that? Oh, no, that's all there. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. okay. It cuts out about half of episode 19 and then most of episode 20. And then oh, okay. Maybe a little bit of 21. But, yeah, all the stuff with the prison riot and, and then the Wolf and Kino meeting each other and Lois and Clark going to Dyerville with the bridge, you know. Okay. And then mm-hmm. they, they arrive in Dyerville, and when they arrive, the, the town's already received the threat to pay the ransom. And then I think the next scene is when the town says, we're not going to pay it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. But I will put uh, scans of these spot illustrations that were with that, with that uh, adaptation in the show notes if anyone's interested. I am. I'll check it out. Cool. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman of the Bronze Age is a weekly podcast covering the adventures of Superman from 1970 to 1986. Join host Charlie Niemeyer at superbronze1970.libson.com. The Superman Fan Podcast is turning over a new leaf for 2011. With the growth of Superman podcasts in 2010 covering the Golden Age of Superman, the Bronze Age Superman, the post-crisis Superman, as well as current Superman stories, I noticed that there was not a podcast which covered the Silver Age of Superman stories. And since I began reading comic books in the early to mid-1960s, right in the middle of the Silver Age, I decided it would be a perfect opportunity for me to cover the Silver Age of Superman stories. One week I will cover the Superman family of titles, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, World's Finest Comics, and eventually Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. The next week I will cover the Man of Steel's titles of Superman and Action Comics, as well as the Supergirl stories. And I will alternate episodes in this fashion through 1970 when Mart Weisinger retired. The home website is at supermanfanpodcast.mypodcast.com and expanded show notes are at supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com. 
Your emails are welcome at supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com and I look forward to reading them. The Superman Fan Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network, which you can find at www.fortressofbailey2.com slash supermanpodcastnetwork, where you can find all of the podcasts covering every era of the Man of Steel. Episodes are also available on iTunes. So join me each week as we fly through the time barrier and journey through the Silver Age adventures of Superman. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening uh, to this episode, and thank you, Charlie, again, for coming on. Oh, hey, thank you for asking. Next episode, we'll be sticking with the radio show, so Charlie will be, will be back again next time. Yay! Uh, but in the meantime, Charlie, tell them where they can find you. I have two shows on the internet. I have Superman in the Bronze Age, which you can find at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com or superbronze 1970 com, and I also have another show called, called, called Podcast of Justice, which I co-host with Isaac Frisbee, and that's a Justice League show that is also at superbronze1970.blogspot.com. No, it's not. I have another show called Podcast of Justice, which I called Plodcast because I'm cool. It's a podcast of justice. Uh, which is about the Justice League, which I co-host with Isaac Fr- Isaac Frisbee, and that show can be found at podcast of yeah podcastofjustice.blogspot.com, and yeah that's oh and the Superman of the Bronze Age I co-host with D- J David Weeder also yes thank you and by the time you're hearing this there should be three episodes of that podcast of justice out which means they'll be getting into the actual Justice League title itself so that's very yes cool. yes 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 yes. As, as for this show, everything you need to know can be found at greatcrypton.com. There you'll find show notes as well as back episodes. And the site will also give you the RSS feed and the iTunes link if you want to subscribe to the show. And you'll also find the Facebook and Twitter links. And you can follow the show on either site and get updates whenever I have a new episode. The show is also proud to be a member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many excellent Superman-related podcasts. And Steve Eunice also posts updates at the Superman homepage pretty much whenever I have a new episode. So there's lots of ways to stay up to date with the show. And last but not least, I invite you to check out my other podcast, Green Lantern's Light, which I co-host with Jeffrey Taylor and J. David Weeder. And you can find that at greenlanternslight.com. As always, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and his copyright DC Comics. So thanks again for listening to The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, and I'll talk to you later. Goodbye. Bye, everybody.
realizing what it is, he speeds back to the dire... Okay. (laughs) (laughs) If it helps, hardly any of the actors could say it right either. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Although I don't think any of them referred to it as... (laughs) So that's cool. That was the original name of the town. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Those you I forgot you've got the scripts. Yeah. Realizing what it rea- <laughs> All right. And then realizing is another word. Yes. <laughs> okay, I'll mute and then you just go. Okay. Realizing what it is, he speeds back to Dyerville and re- and reveals that the underwater torpedo Man, I am just messing that all up. Alright. Alright, here we go. Oh. We're never going to get through this one. It may be 11 o'clock before (laughs) we get through this. I don't know. Sweet. It's just this one sentence. Okay. (laughs) We could try reading every other word. Maybe that would work. (laughs) All right. Here we go. 